good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. This is your host, C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I'm speaking to you from Southern California where the heat wave, which is the contrast to the the cold snap you guys have had uh, on the East Coast or is approaching this weekend, is has hit us, so it's pretty hot out here. Ah, well, um, my name is Stephen G. Fullwood, and I am the co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project, and I'm also... Um, a contributor to a zine called What Will a COVID-19 Doula Do? That is available at the One Archives organization, and it's onearchives.org. And my the title of my essay is called If It's Any Consideration. Excuse me. <laughs> um, the person coughing in the background is me, um, Seth Rodney. I am a senior editor at the Hyperallergic blog, and author of the personalization of the museum visit and i'm talking to you from the boogie down bronx where south bronx where i've been for the last six years and ooh, it's time to go <laughs> <laughs> time to go Word. this is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of what we like to call intellectual intimacy which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together uh and as we talked about last week uh we are pivoting away from uh, discussion on COVID-19. And we'll also be going back to our regular format of podcasts posting on Monday. Um, and, you know, sometimes we front load the discussion because it goes on. So we'll split it into two. So um, our topic is going to be aesthetics broadly for a few weeks. Uh, and we have a, a specific take on it, which I'm going to hand over to Seth to, to summarize here in a second. I, I wanted to say two things. Uh, one, you know, just because we're not talking about COVID-19 doesn't mean that we're not hoping that everyone that is affected by it or will be affected by it is as safe as possible. And two, we're not going to talk about it, but um, uh, if someone will correct me if I've gotten the name wrong, uh, Ahmad Arbery, who was mm-hmm. um, gunned down in broad daylight at mm-hmm. one o'clock in the afternoon two months ago in Georgia. Um, and we're not going to talk about that, but um, man, does that one set the blood boiling? So uh, anyway, uh, Seth, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm going to hand it off to you and, and let you take us into our, our discussion. Okay. Thank you. I wanted to start off this segment talking about a piece by Malcolm Harris, which was published in Mother Jones, uh, on the Mother Jones website on Fe- February 28th of this year. Basically, the, the piece, which is, in t- which is titled What's So Bad About Politically Correct Art, forwards this argument about what essentially constitutes a Marxist view of history or a Marxist view of um, the way the world works. And the provocative title gets, sort of gets at aesthetics, but I'm, I was more, I suppose, compelled to talk about this because of a particular passage, which I believe I sort of quoted the last time, uh, last episode, but I kind of butchered. So I want to start off with it here again, and I'm just going to quote him properly by um, reading from the piece, which is in front of me now. The last line of, well, it's a page four in my text, but uh, he says, owners try to get the most out of their workers and workers try to get the most out of life. Goals that are fundamentally at odds. The sparks from these grinding gears light the whole world. And there's something for me convincing about his argument. 
here that gets encapsulated in that passage in that what he's talking about throughout the piece is essentially a kind of class consciousness, a way of thinking about what structures the world. And what he, what Harris does is he breaks down this notion of a kind of liber, uh, a kind of, that, that comes out of classic liberal uh, political thought, which is that there's, we are individuals and we are individuals trying to make our way through the world through the use of judgment and mm-hmm. taste. Mm-hmm. Um, we make judgments about things. We discriminate. And that's mm-hmm. part of what makes us individual, right? So it's, you don't, ju- you don't, you don't just drive any old car. You drive a particular kind. I'm looking at you, Travis, because mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think that Stephen owns a car. Uh, Travis, you drive a particular kind of BMW, which is a, p- a particular kind of car. I, I have a Volkswagen now, but. Oh, you do? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So you drive a particular kind of Volkswagen. I did then. used to have a BMW, though. So this is, right, you know. Right, right, right. And, and, we, and I was very self-conscious about this car, which is why uh, Seth is bringing this up, I think. So. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well. Well, well, it occurred to me when I, when, I, when I looked at both of you, I mean, like, we could do this at the level of clothing, too. I mean, Stephen is wearing um, a kufi and a dashiki right now. And Travis is wearing a gray T-shirt. I'm wearing uh, a wine-colored T-shirt that says "The Strand" on it. Yes, not, go ahead. Not a not a dashiki. This is oh. um, a- actual West African clothing. Dashikis oh, okay. are the sort of representation of the African style clothing in the U.S. that okay, came about in the '60s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Um, these are markers of our individuality, right? They, mm-hmm. they they are markers of our taste and our ability to distinguish ourselves in the world. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and according to Harris, precisely where liberalism fails is that it tries to say that it tries to use the, that faculty of discrimination mm-hmm. as a way as a as a as a kind of way of avoiding politics. I think that's the essence of his argument. Mm. As a way of 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 demarcating a place in our lives that's not um, political. Uh, and, yeah, and. And I think that that's a good place to start start the discussion. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best in the discussion to I, I never take you dismissively, Seth. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know that we've been friends for a very very long time, mm-hmm. uh, very very close friends. One of my best friends, and Stephen, I I take I take you very seriously. I I take the Marxist argument. It's hard for me to take it seriously because uh, it is so broad and so sweeping and so contrary to my experience of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in in this essay, by following this person's thread, I I am the owner that is trying to suck like some mantis, suck the life out of my workers while they just try and go about their lives enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Um and and that's that's who I would be in this piece and right and you I'm not the I, yeah 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 I'm not I don't Exploiter. react like I, it, it doesn't make me <laughs> to, to hear that's that, not like, PC <laughs> <laughs> Exploiter. get him <laughs> torches the guys with the torches come this way pitchforks <laughs> yeah so Which redu- I, reductive yeah but sorry go ahead yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, no no so right you know, I, I I I took. I took the line of your joke as as very revealing and accurate, Stephen, which is mm-hmm. just that, like, 
this is such an absurdly broad generalization about the complexities mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. the world mm-hmm. and part of which is the economy but certainly not all of which is and i would i would give the current pandemic as an example like mm-hmm. the entire planet shut down mm-hmm. because of concerns over health and wellness mm-hmm. the whole planet Owners and workers alike and owners and workers alike fall on both sides of the divide on whether how we should respond to uh, uh, to the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe, you know, I want to I want to make some <laughs> allowance for the fact that at at some point, um, I mean, yeah, I, I'm trying to not get too far afield. I, I want to make some mm-hmm. allowances for the fact that at some point I am open to the to the argument that because of the level of abstraction that is involved in running a large corporation, very large, you know, thousands of people uh, running a country, that these dynamics might come more into play because it's impossible to think of people as individuals at that scale in for in a sustained way like you have to think of them like okay that department is over budget let's fire you know 14 people or something like that right that and and that argument i am i am open to because i do find that there is something while there is clearly an upside to it you know the mass production of ventilators uh the mass production of vac or vaccine research and all the other things that come along with it the downside it is that is that it is a, a mostly inhuman system is that right. it's it's fundamentally monstrous to reduce people to actuarial tables so at that if we want to take if we want to for me right and i'm certainly open to to a counter argument here but Mm-hmm. This this notion that every member of a society is entrenched in class struggle. Um, to to go back to your point, I'm wearing this T-shirt because this is what I slept in last night, and it's, I'm three hours mm-hmm. earlier than you. So this was an expression of my individuality at all. This is not at all how I would. This is what I happened to sleep in last night. It was a, it mm-hmm. was just like, and this happened mm-hmm. to be in the top slot in my drawer to put on, to go to sleep. And our lives are filled with inconsequential decisions like that. Filled with them. But I, you laugh. But I think you I'm sorry, I think you might I apologize. I think you might be No, 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 please do. I think you might like the the line before um that Seth read about the owners try to get the most out of their workers and workers try to get the most out of life. There's a line that says any mode of production based on exploitation is unstable and rife with conflict which I think goes to your point about the diversity of the ways in which we do business, right? But I think mm-hmm. the class argument, just what you said about the T-shirt or what have you, makes me think of the convenience of what it means to, like, I like flowing things. I, I took my bike out this mm-hmm. morning and rode down to 59th Street, live in Harlem and, you know, basically to Midtown. And so I came back and I was like, well, I need something comfortable for today. I'm actually going to be mm-hmm. on Zoom calls all day long and another podcast at 530. So I thought of convenience, what makes me feel good, right? Mm-hmm. But if you looked at me and I was walking down the street, I live in Harlem, someone would look at this and say, the Kufi and the African West African clothes, oh, he's a part of this thing or he's mm-hmm. a part of that thing. Mm-hmm. And it would connote a particular class dynamic. It may get it wrong, but it's it all depends on who's looking and for what. 
And so Mm -hmm. I like the diversity argument, I mean, not the diversity, but the complicated argument that you're giving to the class dynamic. But I think it's still there. I think just don't think that what it you mean might, sort of there in like the initial purchase and like sort of why that would be in your closet, why that would be your in your drawer, that kind of thing. Well, absolutely. Exactly. And also, and so that's why exactly. I think it's the grounding argument for me. And from there, the complexities can arrive. I agree with you. I think that there is a little it's a bit broad and I was finding myself. I read it twice and I enjoyed it. But at the times I was kind of like, I don't know about this. I don't know about this. And and so I was like, well, since it's an excerpt from his book, maybe that's why it's not as cohesive as I like it to be. I mean, it tried it, tried a couple times at humor, and I was just like, eh, you know, this is just okay. <laughs> but I mean, the last one of the last lines of the thing for me that really caught my attention, and I love it, and it's like, they think we want to destroy the whole world as their eyes have adjusted to it, and they're right. And I'm down for that. <laughs> I'm down for that. I think some systems do have to go. I think that they're complete. I think that one thing that COVID nineteen has done for us to show is exactly how, um, and, and, and to point out one of your arguments about owners and workers, everybody being shut down, is that owners now are really pushing for people to get back to work. That's a very large not, part not of it. All, not, not all. Not all owners, though. Not and, all and, owners. And, and, to be clear, Agreed. not even a lot that I know. I know. So I, again- Well, there were being... some people that never stopped working. Amazon, is that essential? Not really. <laughs> Amazon's not essential. Okay, so 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 so, so Whole let's foods, do this. Maybe that's food. Wait, 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 let's <laughs> let's do this. Let's do this. I want to I, I want to say that clearly there are going to be examples of plenty of workers, uh, and and these might be entrepreneurs, and these might be small business owners, people who own nail salons. There was some woman in Texas who did, who who uh, flouted Got arrested the, the, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the the regulation, the, the mm-hmm. new law, and opened a nail salon and was fined seven thousand dollars, and then jailed for seven days, I think. And uh, yeah, the yeah, deputy, yeah. the deputy governor of Texas, uh, Patrick, decided to pay her. Um, made a made a big deal about paying her fine. La la la. Like so, there are plenty of examples of both owners and and non owners um, asserting some sort of quote unquote right to to get back to work. The point I think that he's making, and I think this is where I, he comes, he, the argument comes off the rails for me is that recorded, and I'm reading here, recorded human history is the history of class conflict. And every child is born into a specific historical moment and into a specific position within that specific moment. My problem is that that seems to absolutely ignore the significant portion of human history that is actually about cooperation. That's how we survived as a species. Absolutely, yeah. Like it was not always conflict. I mean, you could make the argument maybe with the onset of mercantile capitalism, right? With With the development perhaps of money, and maybe actually even before that, maybe with the development of surplus. Because I think at some point in our human history, in our history, we had societies that were not nomadic, that put down roots and began to till the soil, um, you know, mm-hmm. d- d- the architectural revolution. And at that point, we stopped living sort of hand to mouth. 
I mean, this is. This, I mean, I'm being very crude and 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 and. Yeah, and no, I understand. And, I understand. I'm just trying, trying to follow of, you. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah taking yeah. the long view, but I'm saying that more for our listeners. That you know, because I'm sure that there, there's some out there who would be like, well, it didn't exactly you know happen that way. But well, at some, one of your one of your participants in the podcast is thinking that, but that, but but, but <laughs> I definitely I'm I'm following you. So. Right. So at some point we develop surplus, and at some point someone within the village, the community, the system Mm -hmm. allocated more for himself and his friends or his family than other people had and put the, 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 the village at a disadvantage because he took more than his fair share. And that Mm -hmm. might've been the start of this kind of class conflict um, and which becomes systematized under mercantile capitalism. Uh, so, so there's a point there to be made, but I just, you're right, I think, Travis, in saying that he is too sweeping. Well, it's a polemic yeah. piece. I mean, he's trying to undermine the argument <laughs> that there, it, he's trying to really like pull apart this whole PC thing, I think, right? Yeah, you know, I, that's a fair point, Stephen. I, I myself, uh, dispositionally, have a, have a difficult time with just polemic pieces mm-hmm. if uh, reading them as anything other than entertainment. Mm. Which, I, to to be clear, mm. I, I'm, I so I think might be a, <laughs> no might be might be a deficiency on my part. No, no. What I'm saying is that I I oh, oh that, that was actually that was, that was clever. <laughs> that, took, that took me a second. Like, that took me a second. Gotcha. That was It's got to be useful. <laughs> so uh, so, but that may be the point. You know, it may be a polemic. Um, but I don't read him as thinking of himself as a polemicist, right? And so that's where my that's where my my uh, my flexibility with that genre, you know, something being just intentionally polemical, and not necessarily in a Jonathan Swift's way. It doesn't have to go that far. But someone that thinks mm-hmm. of themselves as a provocateur, as a polemicist, um, I probably have a, a, a bit more latitude in reading those arguments. Um, now, although the the name of his book isn't it like bullshit history or something like that, or I mean, Come on, so yeah. maybe so maybe he is. So, so may, maybe I'm not reading him fairly in this excerpt. That's that's definitely possible. But I don't understand. Like in the in 2020, mm-hmm. I think the world is full up with polemics. I think the world mm. is full up with sweeping generalizations. And I think the world mm. is absolutely overflowing with broad generalizations that dismiss entire peoples and groups. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of patience for stuff like this because I just I, I fundamentally don't buy the premise. And I think I had said this to, to Seth before, one of the the major mistakes that I think most Marxist uh, critics make is a critique that uh, Gyatri Spivak makes tangentially, mm. which is, or mm. obliquely rather, that is the wrong word, which is that not, all these people are elites. Like th- this, the, the the person that wrote this Mother Jones article, uh, mm-hmm. Malcolm Harris, is in fact an elite. These are elites criticizing other elites, and this and that. That obliviousness to that reality is what fuels so much resentments and, and and criticisms of hypocrisy on the other side. That that what they're what they are advocating for is a shift in the elite center. 
they're saying that Marxists should be the ones planning and deciding about the direction of the economy in the world. They are not, in fact, anyone that has interacted with human beings for any length of time knows that not every human being is cut out to lead or be the authentic like author of their grand economic vision of the world. Most people don't give a fuck. They don't, not because, not because I don't, and I don't think less of them because of that. They probably have Mm. their priorities straight because they're probably more engaged with things that actually matter to them on an intimate and and immediate level. I don't think that makes them dumb at all, at all. Like not even a little bit. Uh, But I do, I I do think these are a bunch of, you know, these are people around the seminar table at universities haggling and and saying, you know, no, my way is better. No, your way is better. Because you can't look at the world and think this is an accurate representation of it. It doesn't minimize the work outright. I get your point. But for someone who's reading The Atlantic, you know, you think about the viewers, I mean, the listeners or whatever, and then also with the, the titles of his books, um, they make me think that they're trying to reach a particular a broader audience. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody might pick this thing up and and wrestle with those ideas. So I can't really dismiss it outright. Mm. Um, That's fair. That's for fair. a number of things, for a number of reasons, and also I think that being a part of the elite and actually writing this kind of stuff could be useful. Could be, like I said, I can't outright dismiss it. It's frustrating because it because you go, well, why are you? Is it just an intellectual exercise for you? But I, but I, I, so the book I picked up this morning for this conversation is called A Simple Less by Dennis Brutus. And Dennis mm-hmm. Brutus was a South African freedom fighter who basically, um, he wrote this beautiful, he, he was a part of the um, South African non-racial Olympic committee. He was arrested a couple times and eventually he ended up defecting to the United States. And I was just looking at his poetry and going, wow, this, this, this guy wrote really beautiful things. Mm-hmm. And the book came about to me from a man who was a devout leftist, an Haitian mm-hmm. man who was amazing, right? And it came mm-hmm. to me and I was thinking, well, how would I have ever heard of this, you know, or if it didn't come through him, if we weren't friends, we weren't colleagues at work or whatever. I think that when information goes out in the universe, it may not automatically make me think through the authorial intent or where that position where that man stand, or woman or, or person or trans person sits in relationship to those ideas. You know, I may not immediately do that. I may just look at the work and see how it resonates. That's all. And we're talking, uh, so I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm getting your point. So that basically you're saying that we don't, we don't necessarily have to dismiss the work like lock, stock and barrel because it, on its own, it may stir other kinds of thinking and other types of reflections I, on... Absolutely. I think that when, even though I'm moving towards, yes, we do have a lot of sweeping generalizations, we need more specificity um, in our works, but I'm for the polemics because I think that they, in some ways, offer people an opportunity to wrestle with those thoughts and wrestle with mm-hmm. those ideas. And so the regular Joe Blow or Joanne Blow that you were talking about earlier, who may not have these ideas, they might have those ideas. They just might have fleshed them out or thought about Mm -hmm. them or written about them. Mm -hmm. But I think Mm -hmm. what I like about Bell Hooks is that Bell Hooks brought to my attention that when we were growing up and watching television, we didn't have any um, academic terms to describe some stuff, but we were like critiquing things, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. in our own Mm -hmm. way, you know, whether or not we're watching television or films and we're like, 
that's some bullshit, you know? And we may not go into an expanded reason why, but I like, I like it that the books are out there and the articles are out there. I do. I like ideas. It's what we do with them. So that's all for today's show. Uh, as we do, sometimes we split this conversation into two parts to keep it close to the 30-minute mark. Uh, we will pick up with part two of our conversation next week. And as always, uh, thanks very much for listening. 